Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I'm thankful for a lot of things this year. Um, I'm thankful. I am so thankful that I got to baptize Adam Kuhn. Uh, had the, the privilege of just kind of being a part of a journey of his life that was a little bumpy years ago. And to see him stand and say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior um, fills my heart with such joy because there were some moments, as some of you remember, back in July where I didn't know I'd ever get to baptize again. Didn't know if I'd be here to do that kind of stuff. And so I'm grateful to the Lord for all that he's brought me through. I know that there are many things that you are grateful for. And uh, I failed to do this in the first service, but I'm going to issue it to you guys because I think you're, I think you're more capable of handling a challenge maybe than the the ninth third, no, I'm kidding. Um, but I, I did intend to challenge them to do something that I challenged you to do last year, and that is between now and Christmas, to make an A to Z list of what you're thankful for. Just go down the alphabet, start your list, and for every letter of the alphabet, write down something that you're thankful for. And then between now and Christmas, just thank God for those things on a regular basis. And I think you'll see the Lord doing a great work in you um, because a thankful heart in the presence of a mighty God is a beautiful thing. You know, we're, I'm so thankful that we have parents in our church who have publicly said, like those that were displayed a moment ago in the video, and you know what? I need to train y'all in something because we've lost something here that this church used to uh, do deeply. I want all of you to go Ooh, can you do that? Ooh. Now can you go, ah, ah. Used to, when we ran those videos and those kids came up, you guys would go, ooh, ah. I don't know what happened to you. So we need to bring the oohs and ahs back one day, you know. Uh, But I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where parents publicly declare We want to devote ourselves to raise our kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I'm I'm so thankful that God, you know, stirs in the hearts of parents. And I'm thankful for a church that has said, hey, we want to support them in that. And one of the ways you can do that is through these little cards. And they're prayer cards. And so I'm going to ask you to pick at least one up. There, there's one for each child that's represented, uh, that, uh, whose parents dedicated them and themselves to the Lord. And on the back is the, the parent's prayer request. And so I, I just want to ask you to pick at least one up. Maybe you want one for each family. You can stop and do that if you want to. Um, but the most important thing is not you pick a card up. The most important thing is what do you do with the card when you pick it up? And that is pray. Devote yourself to pray for that family. And I would ask you to do it all year. Just, and that, maybe that's why you just want to take one. And then maybe after you've prayed for them a while, you may want to get to know them. You might want to you know, look them up and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I thank God for the decision you've made. And I know that parenting in this generation is tough. It is just a hard thing to do. But I'm thankful that parents want to do it 
in the nurture of the Lord. Another thing that I'm thankful for, uh, many of you know that we've been in this comfort zone campaign. We've been trying to raise $50,000 to uh, fund the purchase of another HVAC unit for this space because it is on its last leg. And, uh, and we're, you guys have given generously and sacrificially, and we are so thankful for that. So many of you uh, given sacrificially beyond above your tithes and offerings, and we're so thankful for that. And I'm thankful to say that we have reached, uh, the last I heard was $42,600. And I just want to thank God for the generosity put in you. Yeah, it, that's... That's an incredible thing. Now, I want to say today is like the official ending of our comfort zone campaign. So all that stuff's going to come down. But I will tell you this. If you decided that you wanted to continue to give for that, we would receive it. We wouldn't say no to it. But there's a reason we're ending it today. And that, that's been kind of an, a, a journey in thing to take care of some things we needed help with here. This season that we're entering into is about a journey out. And uh, we're going to want to bless some other folks, our foreign missionaries that are on the field. And so the next season of giving is going to be devoted to out. And I'm going to ask you again to be generous and sacrificial in your giving to our missions effort, both globally and locally during this holiday season that's just uh, around the corner. Now, today we're going to look at many passages of Scripture. We're going to do it kind of quickly. Um, and, but one I want to focus on. Okay, one I want to focus on. And then I am going to do a one-sentence sermon. One-sentence sermon. That's not the appropriate time for that. I didn't say how long it was going to take me to unpack that one sentence. But, oh. <laughs> But I'm gonna, I, my, my hope and prayer is, is that when you leave here today, the sentence will kind of stay with you. And that the passage of scripture that I want you to associate with the sentence will stay with you. And that passage of scripture is really the last part of Colossians chapter 2 verse 7. And this is what the end of that verse says. Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he's done. Let your life overflow with thanksgiving for all he's done. Now, that's our focus passage this morning. And for me, one of the ways I, my mind is helped to focus on what a passage of scripture uh, means is to ask some questions about it. So I want to pose a question to you about this passage this morning. What would it look like for you to overflow with thanksgiving for all he's done. What, what, would, what would your life look like if you, were, if you were doing that? Overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that the Lord has done. What would you look like? How would your life maybe look differently? What, how would, where, where would you go from there? Now, I want to give you the sentence. Well, I want to give you the first phrase. Of the sentence. I'm going to give it to you in three phrases, but here's, here's the first phrase of the sentence, and it's tied to this verse. When grace floods my mind, when grace 
floods my mind. If we're going to become people whose lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he's done, the grace of God is going to have to flood our minds, which means we've got to understand the basic foundation of what that word means. Now, Christians, we, we talk about grace a, a lot, um, and, and as well we should. It's it's used frequently and freely in Christian circles, but sometimes I fear that because of the way we use it so often, we water down its power, and we miss out on the majesty and magnitude uh, of, of, of the word grace because there's so much in that little word that sometimes far too often I think we take for granted. You know, it, it's like calling the Grand Canyon a hole in the ground when we begin to diminish grace because grace is so big, the grace of God, and there's so much to it. In one section of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he's been talking about grace. He talks about the fact that as Christians, we were chosen by God. We were loved by God. We were called and adopted into God's family. And Paul explains that grace is the context for all of that. Listen to this from his letter. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, It brings praise to God because of his wonderful grace. God gave that grace to us freely in Christ, the one uh, he loves. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death, and so we have forgiveness of sin. How rich is God's grace, which he has given to us so fully and freely. But what is it? This word grace, what is it? What is it really? If someone were to ask you, give me a one-sentence definition of grace, what would you say? What would it be? Well, in, in its simplest terms, grace is it's a gift. It's getting something that you haven't earned. It's living a life that, that you don't deserve. Some of you may be familiar with this. May, how many of you can remember 1995? Okay. Some of you, not, because you're not old enough, some of you just can't remember that far back. But in, in 1995, Major League Baseball went on a strike. Players were holding out for more money. The owners of the teams uh, weren't happy about it whatsoever. And so they made the decision that they were going to go out and hire new teams. And they did. Now, the people that they hired were not quality caliber Major League Baseball players. Some of them were like Little League coaches. They got all kinds of people that kind of showed up. And, and they, they literally hired them to play Major League Baseball. And the fans would come, not, not the same crowds normally as before, but crowds would show up. And these guys were so thankful. When they got, they got there early, they got there to oil their gloves, they would walk through the stands and they would thank the fans who had shown up. They would thank the people who distributed the hot dogs. They would thank the people who painted the, the lines on the ground. They, they were just so glad and, and grateful to be there, but they weren't the highest caliber ball players. One, uh, one manager, team manager, made the statement that the pitcher that would be pitching today was so slow with his delivery that uh, the, the radar machine wouldn't even detect the ball coming across the plate. That he was just, you know, wasn't that, that high a caliber of a pitcher. But for these guys, it was magical. 
they, they were just uh, uh, amazed because they knew they were living a life they didn't deserve. They hadn't been chosen because they were the best of the best of the best. They were chosen because they were willing. And they, they loved the game uh, of baseball. And they lived differently than Major League Baseball players did. They were, there weren't any arguments with the management or anything like that. These guys didn't even have their names on the backs of their jerseys. Because everybody thought this is going to end soon and the, guys are going to, the real guys are going to come back. So they didn't even bother printing their, their names. But these guys were there for the love of the game. They knew they didn't deserve it. They knew they weren't making something of baseball. That baseball was making something for them. Friends, that's, that's just a little tiny taste uh, of grace. What it should be like. See, just thrilled that God would allow us to be part of his family. Just thrilled that he would invite us onto the field of play. Just not because we deserved it or because we're good or because we earned it, but simply because he chose us because of who God is. So what's our response to that grace? Paul asked the church at Rome that question in a kind of a unique way in Romans 8:31. He, he said, what shall we say in response to this? And then he makes a statement. If God is for us, which is grace, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a, an incredible thought that he is for us? That he is for you. The God of all creation that spoke all existence into being is for you. Right now at 1139 in Charleston, South Carolina. That God is for you. But guess what? He's for you tomorrow. He's for you the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to come back tomorrow. It's not going to run out. doesn't matter what you've done, who you did it with, or how long you did it. God, if you've trusted Christ Jesus, he's for you all the time. Now, that resounding message needs to just marinate in our minds that God is for you. Friends, that's, that's grace. And it's bound up in God's nature. It's not because of anything you or I have done. It's in his nature to bestow good gifts, grace on undeserving people. Look what Isaiah 30 says about God. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. God is waiting right now for the next opportunity to show you compassion. He, he, he longs, the Bible says. Have you ever had a longing in your heart for something? You ever been homesick? You have that longing for home? God has a longing in his heart to be gracious to you. Do you believe that? Is that, is that an ongoing regular thought that captures your mind. For some of us who may have had kind of rigid religious backgrounds, that can be such a liberating thought that God is not a cruel taskmaster. He's a loving father. And see, when you understand that, it changes everything. It changes your whole approach to life. So let's not take grace for granted. I, I've met people, you may have too, who, has, who, who, who seem to have taken grace for granted. They, they live so piously 
Um, they live out of a self-righteousness, almost like God owed them grace. You ever met anybody like that? Man, those are hard people to walk with. You know, people who, you know, they're convinced that God is like grading on a curve. And when they look around, they think, I'm, I made it compared to everybody else. Friends, they've missed grace. They, they, they've missed the point of grace because they've elevated the view of themselves and they've misestimated who God really is. And the Bible actually points a bleak picture for folks who come at God's grace that way. See, God's word tells us that prior to coming to Christ Jesus, that we're in a condition described in the Bible in, in, in phrases like in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, no one is righteous, not even one. We're unrighteous. You go over to the Old Testament in Jeremiah 17, it tells us that apart from Christ, the human heart is more deceitful than all things. It's desperately wicked. You go over to Isaiah 53, it says, all of us, all of us have gone astray. We've all walked away from God's way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul points out that we are all, before coming to Christ, under the dominion of Satan. And that we have chosen that. We're that way by nature and, and by will. We're sinful creatures according to Scripture apart from Jesus. So when you understand how big and majestic and holy and perfect God is, and then begin to understand how small and sinful in comparison you are, then you begin to grasp grace. And you begin to be desperate for it. You long for that grace. You want your mind to wrap around it constantly. See, until that, until that comes, you, you're kind of in the darkness of your own soul. That, you know, that there's nothing that could connect you or commend you to God in and of yourself. And if, if you think, you know, in and of yourself, God should be all excited about you, you, you have, you, you've missed grace. You, you don't understand the basic biblical idea and concept between God and his grace. But if you do, if you understand the difference between you and God, here's the good news. In spite of that, in spite of your sin, in spite of being under the dominion of Satan, in spite of having chosen a sinful life like we've all done, the Bible says God chose to love us. He chose to love us in spite of all of that. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants us in his family. He chooses us to love on. Friends, that is grace. And my prayer for you and for me this morning is that we will never, ever, ever get over what it means that God has invaded our lives with his grace. Not because we deserve it but just simply because that's who he is. So the first thing that you've got to understand, if you want your life to overflow with thankfulness, is your mind must be flooded with the reality of God's grace so that you are continuously growing in awe and amazement at God's grace to you. Here's the next phrase of that sentence. When, God, when, when grace floods our minds, gratitude will fill our souls. See, when, when we get it, 
when we, when we begin to get grace and our mind really begins to wrap around it, then gratitude will become a natural byproduct of grace. But here's a problem with that and our grasp on grace is we tend to leak grace. I, I, I have a tire that I cannot find the leak on, but it just slowly leaks. It takes it about three months to leak down about seven pounds so that a little light comes on on my truck, you know, telling me, hey, dummy, you got a, a, a tire that's going down. But I can't find the leak on it. So I go back out and I, I just kind of pump the thing up again. Well, we're like that. We often slowly leak gratitude from our souls. God pours it out, but we, we leak it. And so what we need to do to plug the leak is grow in gratitude. Let me ask you this, just to prove my leak uh, theory. Have you ever seen your own self go from being very grateful one day to griping and grumbling the next? It's, just, it's, easy, to, it's easy to leak grace. It's just so easy to do. But moving from focusing on the blessing that God has given us to focusing on what I don't have. Instead of focusing on what and being grateful for what I do have. That's been going on since the dawn of time. Adam and Eve. Think about Adam and Eve. They, they were God's crowning creative achievement. People created in the very image of God, perfect in every way, plopped down right in the middle of what the Bible calls paradise. The most beautiful, imaginable place. It was a perfect environment for them. Everything was there for their pleasure and enjoyment except one thing. And guess what they got fixated on? That one thing. And it became all about that one thing that they didn't have. Not gratitude for everything else they had. But grumbling in their spirit over what they didn't have. And it destroyed them. It literally destroyed them. See, we're so much like that. We can quickly move from gratitude to grumbling and, and, and griping. And here's another thing that, just so you kind of understand what gratitude isn't. As we're approaching the holidays, I was thinking about this. Sometimes in an effort to try to get gratitude to grow in our kids, at, you know, at, at things like Christmas time, you know, we will tell them something like this. Now, you'd be grateful for those socks your Aunt Betsy knitted you. You thank her for them. And they're hideous. And you wouldn't be caught dead in them yourself. But you, you want to tell your kids they need to be grateful. You cannot manufacture gratitude. You can't just manufacture. Now, you can teach, and you should, teach your kids to be polite and encouraging and thankful for the effort that somebody might put forth. But don't try to tell them that they've got to grow a grateful heart for ugly socks. Okay? It, 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 it can't happen. You can't impose gratitude. Gratitude has to voluntarily reside and rise up deep from within. And when it does, it, it creates a joy and an appreciation. And it makes you less petty and, and, and less critical of others when gratitude is resident in your soul. Remember our verse, Colossians 2, 
Verse 7, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. Friends, gratitude only exists in an overflow environment. Gratitude only exists in in an environment where it overflows. It's not dependent on circumstances, gratitude isn't. It, it, is, it is non-dependent on circumstances. Fundamentally, true gratitude has nothing to do with your circumstances. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 kind of brings a close to the book of Habakkuk. If you went back and you read the book of Habakkuk, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest condensed version right now. Habakkuk starts out, he's miserable, he's whiny, he's groaning, he's moaning. He's not happy with God or his life at the moment. And then we get to Chapter 3, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. By the time we get to the chapter, chapter 3, verses uh, 17 and 18, nothing has changed on the outside. But listen, Habakkuk declares, even though the fig tree have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flock die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. He got grace. His attention turned. His mind got filled with the thoughts of his salvation. Do you see that? All of the, his capacity to exist in all of that circumstance that was uh, you know, empty came because grace flooded his mind. And so gratitude began to flow out of his soul. Paul writes something similar to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonians 5.18 says, No matter what happens, Paul says, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. He's not telling you to be thankful for the circumstances. He's saying that no matter what you face, because Jesus is living in you and you are in Christ, you can face everything with a thankful heart focused on Jesus. Not, it's not circumstance dependent. No matter what, Paul says, no matter what you face, there's space for gratitude. And we gotta guard it. When, when, when gratitude begins to grow, we've gotta guard it because there's so much in this world that would seek to deflate our gratitude. Look at Ephesians chapter five, Paul says this. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, That's just part of our culture. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Now, when I I remember the first time I kind of read that verse and was soaping uh, through the scriptures, I I read it and I thought, what in the world do things like obscene language or crude crude jokes or inappropriate talk, what what does this have to do with gratitude? Why, why, Why did he tie these things together? And here's what... I felt like the Lord said to me, when gratitude for the grace of God in your life flows through your heart, when thankfulness has filled up your soul, it will begin to change what comes out of your mouth. It will change your words and your deeds. And that leads me to the last phrase of this one sentence message. When grace floods my mind, gratitude fills my soul, and gratefulness flows from my mouth. It, it holds at bay inappropriate kinds of talk in your life because you're looking at the world differently. 
And it can, that is true in so many other areas of our life. Let's say, for example, that you struggle with cynicism and a critical spirit, where, where critical words are always just kind of flowing out of your mouth. Those are symptoms of an ungrateful heart. But when our minds are flooded with the grace of God and gratitude begins to, to grow in, in our souls, gratefulness, acts of gratefulness, words of gratefulness flow from us. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, or let us rejoice and be glad in it. And see, what the, what the psalmist is pointing to is the, the work of God, the activity of God, the grace of God in that day. That's the only way that you're going to rejoice in this world is to see that the Lord is making the day, that the Lord is in the day, that the Lord is abundant with grace for you in his day. When my mind is captured by that grace, that I get to live another day that the Lord has made, what else should I do? Can I do? But, but rejoice and my soul gets filled and gratefulness flows from my heart and my body, and my mind, and my mouth, and my hands. In Luke chapter 7, towards the end of the chapter, you can go read it later today, it records Jesus being invited to a dinner party that's being given by a Pharisee named Simon. Now, Jesus didn't hang out with the Pharisees normally, but he accepted this invitation. And while he was there, and remember, when they dined, they dined kind of uh, in a leisurely way. They would often kind of lay on their sides and eat or sit on the floor and eat. So that was kind of the environment, probably what was going on. They were, they were a little probably slower in their meal taking than we are, you know, gobbling it down, get out the door kind of thing. And in, in this exclusive dinner party, a woman crashed the party. This, this woman that... that Seemingly, Simon didn't know who she was. The only description that Luke gives us in Luke 7 of this woman is that she was a woman who had lived a sinful life. And she shows up uninvited in, at the house of a Pharisee. And the Bible tells us that she got in close proximity to Jesus, probably standing behind where he was lounging. And at some, we know she was in close proximity because the Bible tells us that... While she was there, she began to weep, and the tears fell off her face, and they landed on Jesus' feet. So she was apparently standing behind Jesus at his feet, tears rolling down her face, and she bent down, and she began to dry those tears that hit the feet of Jesus with her hair. And then she kissed his feet and began to pour perfume on the feet of Jesus, a very costly perfume and at this we know that Simon became incensed he's upset not only that she's doing this that she's crashed his party but she's he's ticked at Jesus for not doing something about it and for letting this sinful woman touch him and Jesus knows what this guy's thinking knows what Simon Simon's thinking and so he tells a, a really brief parable one of the briefest parables and it's about two debtors one who owes an astronomical sum and one who owes just, just a little bit, you know, just a piddly amount. And after he tells this story, the, 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 the guy who 
uh, has this debt, you know, he forgives them. He forgives those two debtors. And Jesus poses the question to Simon, who will love this man more? And Simon answers, rightly, Jesus says, the one who was forgiven more. And then Jesus turns to this audience and to Simon, I think, and says this in verse 47. I tell you, her sins, and I think he pointed at the woman, and they are many. Friends, never mistake that grace just sweeps sin under the rug. God's grace does not sweep our sins under the rug. God's grace deals with our sin. We have to admit it. We have to face it. But God's grace is all sufficient to handle the worst of sin in any of our lives. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And he was saying that to Simon. You've only showed me a little love, Simon. This woman has shown me great love. Don't, don't miss this. If you don't hear anything else, here's what Jesus is saying. There is a direct link between your capacity to love deeply and the depth of gratitude that is in your soul. There's a, there's a significant link. See, the great miracle of the grace of God is that he forgives sin. He, he forgives sin. Oswald Chambers reminds us, he said, it is the death of Jesus Christ alone that enables the divine nature, God, to forgive and to remain true to itself in doing so. See, the grace of God brought on Calvary, nothing less. The grace of God is spelled out on the cross like like nowhere else. See, the only basis for which God can forgive me is the cross of Christ because there all the wrath of God was satisfied, the Bible tells us. See, forgiveness doesn't merely mean that I'm saved from hell and made ready for heaven. Forgiveness means that I am forgiven and created anew. I am a new creature. I have a new relationship that identifies me with God in Christ. The, the miracle of redemption is that God turns me and turns you, the, these unholy beings, into a new standard, holy ones. That's what saints are. And so you're a saint because you've been turned into a holy one. And he does this by putting a new nature in us, the nature of Christ himself. Friends, that is the greatness of his grace. It all starts with grace. Your mind being flooded with grace. And when your mind is flooded with grace, when you realize how much you've been forgiven of, how much you're loved by God, how much God has graced your life with what you don't deserve, it fills your soul up with gratitude. And when your heart and soul are filled with gratitude, that can't stay put. You can't remain the same. So that grace works its way out into displays of gratefulness. You become a more loving person, a kinder person, a gentler person, a more generous person. You become a forgiving person. But it all starts with his grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to begin making their way down here this morning. See this woman in Luke 7. 
She had the ability to walk into a room where Jesus was physically and express her gratefulness to him for his great grace to her, drying, drying his feet with her hair. But that's impossible for you and I to do. We don't have the ability yet to do that in the presence of Jesus. So how do we, how do we express our gratefulness to him? Well, Jesus told us how. He told us, he, he called us to do that, to express our love for him and remembering the grace he poured out on Calvary's cross when he introduced communion, the Lord's Supper. Let me read this to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to take just a couple of moments before we share in communion together and give the Holy Spirit some, pay, some space in our lives to search us and know us and point out any evil way in us. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, if you feel moved by the Spirit to join them in singing, you do that. You can do it standing or seated. But I would encourage you just to take some moments to pray, to seek the Lord, and let the Holy Spirit do whatever work, point out whatever sin He may need to deal with in your life this morning, and then I'll come back and lead us to take communion together.
seated again for a moment and take out your communion elements if you would if you're new to using these the easiest way to access them is to just take that little tab and flip it down it'll open easier trust me the Bible tells us on the night before Jesus would be crucified and suffer that he took bread and he broke it and when he did and I'm going to ask you to take the bread now out he broke it and he gave thanks for it and then he said to his disciples this is my body it is given for you take eat and do this in remembrance of me Scripture tells us that likewise, on that night, he took the cup. And after he had blessed it, he said to the disciples there, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it, all of you. Pray with me. Father, we, we come giving thanks for your great sacrifice. We come in this moment thanking you that you poured yourself out for us. We come seeing your great grace in that moment and receiving it now into ourselves and it blessing us, filling us with gratitude moving us to gratefulness, acts in words and deeds. Thank you, Jesus, for your great grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm so thankful to be here with you. My name is Michelle, and happy Thanksgiving coming up this week. But it's not just one week, right? We're thankful all the time. Hi, Josie. I saw you. We're thankful all the time. I want to share with you some things that hopefully you will just share in the joy of serving the Lord. I wanted to start with this. Last Sunday, I left this church after Awana with our kids filled, overflowing with gratitude, not just for the opportunity to serve those kids, but to serve alongside a team that shows the love and compassion of Jesus every week on our community. And I'm going to give you something extra that I didn't, how convenient. Look how tall y'all made those. Yeah, praise God. I'm going to share something with you that I didn't share with the first service. This is a verse that God gave me on Tuesday when it had been a rough couple of days. And guys, ministry is sometimes gritty, right? Um, so 1 Timothy 1.12 is the verse the Lord gave me. And it says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And that verse was exactly what I needed. This is one of my journals. I'm a big writer downer. But um, that verse spoke to me about just being so thankful that God has chosen me and chosen us to serve together 
for such a time as this with the group that he's entrusted to us. So I want to share quickly with you about Oak Brook and what we get to do with the community through Oak Brook Elementary School. There are so many ways to serve there, but I want to share, a, I'm going to speed up my language now. I want to share a quick story with you um, about a little boy. I went a couple of weeks ago to deliver some of our encouragement cards, and I had about five huge boxes. And the way the school is, you have to go through a locked door, then you have to go through a locked door, then you have to go around. And there was a little boy, about seven or eight, in the office, and he just kept looking at me. And so I looked at him and gave him one of these, you know, did a little funny face or whatever. And I came back out, and he slowly followed me out, and he said, hey, can I help you carry that? So after a quick check of his muscles, I said, yes, you're able to do that. And he was helping me carry it, and he helped me carry it, and his dad meandered on out. Well, at the very last, he turned around, and I saw that on his back was a book bag that he got from Love Gave. And that was the sweetest moment for me to see this kid who kept looking at me like, I know you. And I get that a lot. You're the church lady. But um, it was just a sweet moment to see that kid looking at me going, I do know you. And I've got this great book bag on my back. And I don't know what he was thinking, but it was sweet for me. So that is some of the ways that we can help and minister to our community through the local school. They have big needs. Right now their angel tree is bursting. Thank you so many of you who have taken a tag. We have plenty more if you're interested in helping with angel tree. Reading buddies. One of my reading buddies this year lost his mom before the school year started. He's five. But I go in there and I sit with him and I just let him talk. And we read. And we play with Play-Doh, and we do all of those wonderful things. So it's such a blessing and a privilege. We get to love on, I had some pictures, but we get to love on the teachers. We did a meal for them just a couple of weeks ago. I learned how to cook a baked potato. I don't eat those, so I don't cook them. But Denise was so kind to teach me how to cook those. And we went and served them together. And we do that a lot. Teachers pet, so many of you. Pray every day for a teacher or staff member at Oak Brook. PET stands for pray, encourage, and treat. And once a month, I get to be Santa Claus and take all those things up to the school. And I want to read for you a quick note that, and I get these all the time. But this is a quick note from one of them. It says, I want to thank you so much for keeping me in prayer and encouraging me. Please pass this along to the others who are involved in this too. I don't have anyone else's contact. I'm new to South Carolina, and it's been a pleasant surprise to experience the partnership your church has with Oakbrook. It's so fun getting notes and things in my mailbox, and they always seem to arrive on a day that I need encouragement. I love South Carolina, but it has been really hard to move to a new place where everything is unfamiliar, and I have to start all over again. So this is just one of the many notes that I get. Keep it up, guys. Keep praying. Um, we have, as I said, Angel Tree. There's food needs always. We have wonderful classes who collect money to help them pay for their school debt, their school lunch debt. So many ways that we can serve. But coming up on December 1st and 2nd is our annual Yard Give. Think it's just what it sounds like with them. Save your stuff. Bring it on the 1st to the school. And then come and serve with us on the 2nd. Families, children. All by yourself, I'll work alongside you. We do work alongside the teachers and staff there at the school, and the community now calls me and says, can I come and help? What a way to show and share the love of Jesus than to serve our community in Jesus' name together. And, and we get to do that. So that's an opportunity for you to serve. And I'm trying to keep it real, like, real even, but I just get excited 
We get to do this. And I'm excited about another way that we get to thank the Lord that we get to serve. And that is through Operation Christmas Child. How cool is that? Look at these boxes. I mean, look at this stack. So I want you to watch this video with me. And I hope your heart is overflowing with gratitude for ways that we get to serve the Lord and our world together. So watch this with me. Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Operation Christmas Child is a way for the little children to come to Almighty God. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus. Children are being discipled. And children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These children are brave and bold, not afraid, and they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. Let them come, Jesus said, let them come. And they're coming. They're coming by the millions. Every single box represents the life of a young boy, a young girl, who will be touched by the gospel. Jesus has come to give them light, that they do not need to be in the darkness, that they have hope, that they have joy. And it is our prayer that this glorious light of the gospel will flow among the nations and will fill our land with the knowledge of the glory of God. The Lord God Almighty desires to fulfill his redemptive plan for mankind in and through each of us and all of us. All of us are children of God. We share this incredible opportunity to take the gospel truly to the ends of the earth by gathering children to Jesus. I believe this year for Operation Christmas Child, this may be the most important year, most important opportunity that we'll ever have to reach children in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that God will use these shoebox gifts to make a difference in the children's life for eternity. to close our service. It, yeah, amen. Is we want to pray. So I'm going to invite our river kids. If you guys would begin making your way down here, um, they're going to come gently lay hands on these boxes. And I'm going to also invite our student ministry that, the, that are here. If y'all would come and lay your hands, they've been responsible for so many of the boxes being packed. If y'all would come and just and lay your hands. Yeah, any child that wants to come, uh, please feel free to come on, lay your hands on the boxes. Even though you may not have given a box this year, that's fine. You can pray. Each one of these boxes represents an opportunity for the gospel to come to the life of a child. And so I want to ask you to pray with us now and, and then continue to pray that the Lord would use these boxes to glorify his name all over the world. Pray with me. Father God, we come in the powerful name of Jesus. We're, we're laying our hands on these boxes, God. Symbolic of our devotion to you and our, our prayer, God, that you would, you would take these gifts 
God, you would glorify yourself through them. Or having been there and handed a child a box at a distribution and watching their face light up and then watching as they listened to the gospel presented. Lord, it was amazing. And I thank you. And I thank you that each one of these boxes represents a story like that that's going to happen in the days ahead. So we pray, oh God, that you would bless these gifts. Bless them as they go out, God. We know that when your word goes out, it doesn't return void. We pray that these gifts would be symbolic of the opportunity of your word to go forth. We pray now, God, giving thanks for the opportunity that we have to participate in the gospel going around the world. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to do this. We thank you so much, Lord, for letting us participate in the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Bless these gifts, we pray, God. Use them for your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.